Hello, Shumai, and good afternoon, Prunhaunda, and welcome to our thesis theatre today. And I'm delighted to introduce you to Emily Austin, who's going to be talking to us today about her master's thesis that she's just completed for her master's programme at Signum University. So a little bit before we start, um, if you want to ask any questions as we go, you can put your questions preferably into the Q&A box because they tend to get lost in the chat and do feel free to chat away in the chat if you would like to as well. But if you've got a question you'd like to ask Emily, pop it into the Q&A and I will ask it for you at whatever point in the, uh, the thesis theatre seems best to do so. So please do. It would be lovely to have questions from the audience. Um, other than that, I think we are ready to get started. So I will begin by just telling you a little bit about Emily. Um, from an early age, Emily has loved both reading and the visual arts, and she's pursued ways to combine these interests. Her favorite authors, particularly J.R.R. Tolkien and Jane Austen, shaped both her literary taste and her artistic imagination, and they continue to provide both academic interest and inspiration for art projects. Born and raised on Oahu, Hawaii, Emily now lives in Indiana with her husband, Ryan, and runs a business creating art, illustration, and graphic design. Besides reading and painting, Emily also loves travel, photography, and sewing. Now, if you haven't been to um, Emily's website for her artwork, then I highly recommend that you do that. You should really go and have a look at Emily Austin's artwork. It is absolutely chef's kiss. So do go along to her website and have a look. So today she's going to talk to you about her thesis and her thesis is called The Road Gives Ever On, Following the Road Motif in The Lord of the Rings. And the abstract is, the Lord of the Rings makes prominent use of the road as a multifaceted symbolic image, but roads also play a more subtly powerful role in the text as a tool of narrative description. Tolkien's stylistic treatment of roads and paths builds on his long-standing interest in the concept, visible in many earlier writings. In The Lord of the Rings, attention to the characters' roads as they journey is a recurring motif that becomes particularly central for Frodo and Sam on the way to Mount Doom. And this thesis uses close reading and digital text analysis to identify four principal ways this narrative attention to roads can manifest and examines how they undergird and enrich the concept's thematic significance. So I'm going to hand this over to Emily because I'm going to ask her the first important question so that you can all get a really good flavor of what she's been working on. And that question is, Emily, could you please give us a brief overview of your thesis? Certainly, thank you so much, Dr. Brown. I'm gonna share my screen now. Can everyone see that? All right, well, I'm gonna jump in then. So my thesis explores where roads and their subsidiaries appear throughout the Lord of the Rings and the effect they have upon the text. While I argue that this motif is central to the book, scholarship has touched on it relatively lightly, uh, making it an excellent candidate for more particular study. Yep, that's right. All right. Tolkien's personal fascination with roads seems to have begun quite early. 
A road image appears as early as his 1915 poem, Goblin Feet, and continues throughout his work, including in The Cottage of Lost Play, The Silmarillion Legends, The Hobbit, The Lost Road, and as well in works coming after or during the composition of Lord of the Rings, such as Leaf by Niggle. Tolkien frequently attaches this imagery to several concepts, including a pathway into fairy, building on medieval inspirations, a connection to ancient history, and as a link between home and the wide world. Often the idea of these connections breaking or diminishing is also present, as in the path of dreams in the Cottage of Lost Play, which is blocked. Uh, this is a precursor to the straight road, which brings the elves to Valinor in Tolkien's mature legend, which is also something that changes um, and is more difficult to find over time. Roads also form an important motif in Tolkien's visual art, especially in his early Book of Ishness drawings and paintings uh, and in illustrations for The Hobbit. The section about painting on the Tolkien Estate website now uh, has a wonderful bunch of examples of this, especially in the subgroup called Imagination. It re reveals just how many of his images are structured around a central road or passageway. All of these ideas and experiments laid the groundwork for The Lord of the Rings, where the motif is most fully developed flowering into a rich image with layers of symbolism and several narrative purposes. So moving into the Lord of the Rings itself, the motif is most obviously introduced as an important symbol through poetry, especially Bilbo's famous poem, The Road Goes Ever On and On. This is a callback to The Hobbit where the poem first appeared. And also it's a way the text communicates the transference of narrative focus from Bilbo to Frodo. This poem anticipates the shape of the story, another there and back again tale. And indeed its reappearance near the end of the book helps bring things full circle. As far as the road's metaphoric layers go, here it stands in for journeys and adventure, and it begins to be closely bound up with Frodo's personal quest, a connection which con continues to solidify as the story develops. It also contains more universal meaning as a representation of the journey of life. And finally, I also read the image as developing a connection to the concept of story itself. These very clear symbolic invocations are less frequent as the pace of the story picks up, but the text continues to remind us of the image's representational possibilities through notable figurative uses of road-related words which align most closely with the definition of a way or course, especially to some end, as the OED puts it. A good example of this is Elrond's declaration at the council that, quote, none can foretell what will come to pass if we take this road or that. But it seems to me now clear which is the road that we must take, end quote. Elrond is very clearly using road in the more figurative way while also alluding to a real journey that will be undertaken. Such usage sometimes clusters at moments of deliberation and reframing, such as here at the council or during later conversations in Lothlorien. It also seems most common to characters with a more formal style of speech, such as Elrond, and also Gandalf, Galadriel, Aragorn, even Saruman. This may be why it is so common in book two particularly, where nearly all these characters make prominent appearances. The chart on this page 
shows the distribution of the words road and path through the chapters of book two. And then it is further divided into literal or figurative purposes. I have James Tauber to thank for generating this data originally. Uh, hi, James. And to which then I added my own analysis of when the words were being used more literally or more figuratively. I also have charts of each book, if anyone is interested in seeing that later on. Moving to the literal roads of the story, we find here several narrative roles. First, roads become a site for dynamic language. Tolkien's roads and paths are highly charismatic. They're always running, rolling, climbing, and winding. This language helps the road feel like an additional companion on Frodo's journey, one which appears repeatedly all the way from Bag End to Mount Doom. The active language also helps to mimic the feeling of travel for those reading the novel by infusing descriptions with strong movement. In several places, the language seems to echo the sensation of moving through a landscape and perceiving its shifts in relation to the self. The road can also lead the eye and the mind forward, hinting at future stages of the quest or evoking the home Frodo has left behind. All this activity can subtly remind readers of the symbolic road and helps to facilitate narrative shifts. Dynamic road language tends to appear when characters resume travel after a pause or to establish the nature of a new environment. Examples include the Hobbit's return to the East Road near Bree, where immediately the sense of threat from Black Riders returns, or the sections in Holland and Ithilien later on, where roads teach us something about each location's ancient past. The literal road also plays a huge role in orienting both the characters within the story and the readers looking into it. The text emphasizes roads together with cardinal directions and landmarks to clarify the world through which the characters move. When they survey their surroundings from a vantage point, a common occurrence as noted by Will Glover, the road is often one of the primary elements they notice and use to interpret their position. By contrast, in scenes where there are no roads or they are difficult to discern, textual emphasis on this very absence serves to heighten feelings of isolation and disorientation. Anxiety about finding the right way forward is a common concern for the travelers. The Old Forest, the Barrow Downs, Moria, and the Dead Marshes all play this, display this emphasis on missing or misleading paths, which enhance the peril of the character's situation. Finally, roads can reflect emotional states or emphasize the choices facing characters in a particular scene. My research has focused on Frodo since his quest is central to the story and seems particularly tied to road imagery. So, for example, on Weathertop, Frodo thinks of the road leading back to the Shire as hateful since it represents his inability to return home, while the road leading east is foreboding as an indicator of his future travels. Then before the Black Gate, three converging roads emphasize Frodo's deliberation on how best to enter Mordor. And they also underscore his determination to try despite the goal's seeming impossibility. Finally, in Mordor itself, Frodo and Sam are continually interacting with roads in a way that heightens the physical and mental torture of their route. 
These roads are terribly perilous, nearly leading to their discovery by Sauron's forces, but they also become absolutely necessary for the last hardest leg of the journey. On the mountain itself, when Sam finally glimpses Sauron's road leading to the crack of doom, it becomes a reminder of just how far into the Dark Lord's realm they have come against all odds. A hint at the providence overshadowing the journey. After the ring is destroyed, the road largely disappears from the narrative. In many ways, the road of the quest is over because Frodo's essential task is complete. However, in another sense, this is not the end of the road for the characters must return home. And for some, the straight road to the undying lands awaits. As Bernard Hirsch has pointed out, the homeward chapters of book six can constitute a coda to the book, which emphasizes that stories by their very nature do not end. In this greater sense, the road will indeed continue on and on. Tolkien clearly found a great deal of meaning in the idea of roads and paths. They are a fountain of inspiration to which he returned many times. In The Lord of the Rings, Tolkien's road motif reaches its mature form and con contributes many layers of narrative complexity and symbolic significance to the text. I believe this image is one of the most enduring in the story and that it has enhanced Tolkien's appeal for many readers of his work. Thank you, Emily. Is that, um, oh, people are saying in the uh, in the chat how much they're loving your artwork, by the way, and that some people oh, actually have copies of these hanging up. Okay, do you want to stop sharing that for a moment? Yeah, I'm just trying to hit the button. My, my mouse won't appear, so it's a little hard. Okay. There we go. There we go. There we go. Um, now, Sparrow was asking about charts, and I think you've got charts at the end of that presentation, haven't you? Are we going to see those later? Yes. Okay. Uh, right. Well, I could bring them up now or later, whatever is best. Okay. Well, um, how about we do the next question, and then you could actually bring up your, your charts then to explain something to do with that, actually, because if we don't do the charts, I think Sparrow is going to explode. We know how Sparrow feels <laughs> about spreadsheets and charts. So, yes. okay. So I was just going to ask you um, how and why you chose this particular topic. Well, I was first struck with uh, how important the road was, the text during John Garth's class at Signum called The Worlds of J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, the book, the same name is on my bookshelf there. And in that class, uh, we were assigned a chapter from The Old Ways, which is a book by contemporary writer Robert McFarlane. And it was all about the power of paths in the human imagination. So it seemed so resonant with Tolkien that I just had to kind of dig in more. So I wrote a paper on it for that class and it became one of the, the top uh, topics that I was considering for my thesis. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. So um, do you want to show some of these charts now for us? Sure. Oh, look at that. I can hear Sparrow squealing from here. Yeah. So can, maybe I'll just point out a couple of the really notable jumps that uh, James and I noticed when we first started looking at this. Uh, so in book one, you can see three is company has like a huge amount of the word road appearing. 
Um, and also the lighter blue, that's the figurative use. So it is uh, relatively strong in that chapter. And that's of course where Frodo recites the road goes ever on and on. And the, the hobbits also uh, sing several other songs that mention roads and paths. And then you can see in the old forest chapter, there's this like enormous jump in the usage of the word path. And it's basically all literal because they are just constantly looking for a path through that chapter and it's moving and winding and disappearing and causing all sorts of problems. Um, so those are two of the, the big ones and the usage does sort of slow down a bit after book one, just because there's so much narrative description and detail about the journey, journey in that book. And then it sort of levels off after that. Okay, I'm just allowing the audience to have a moment of awe looking at that wonderful chart. Actually, that's absolutely fantastic. It really illustrates, doesn't it, just how much Tolkien uses, both literally and figuratively, the idea of a road or a path. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it did bring to my attention some places where I wouldn't have normally looked, like in um, book five. There's a lot of usage of the word road, but it's often more about detailing like the, the battles and how troops are moving and, and just describing the war rather than being part of a description of a, of a landscape in a detailed way. And is this the kind of uh, work you were doing with James Tauber? Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Thank, Thank you. you so much, James. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if you wanna stop sharing that for a second. Okay, so just to kind of carry on from there, how does the Lord of the Rings then stand out among Tolkien's works when it comes to the road motif? I see it as a culmination of all these different earlier ideas and experiments that Tolkien had been pursuing in his earlier work. Uh, so he's obviously recycling earlier concepts as he does so often, but um, in the Lord of the Rings, it's just much more fully integrated. Whereas like in the Lost Road, there's a very obvious connection to the concept even in the title. And Tolkien is using it as a link between history and language. But since that work isn't finished, we never really got to see exactly how deeply he would explore it in that work. So we have these hints, but we don't have the full picture. And in The Hobbit, uh, it's a prominent image in the poem at the end of the book, and it's used in a few places throughout the story, but it's also not as, as detailed as it would become in The Lord of the Rings, especially since that book is just less, less granular. And so in The Lord of the Rings, it really comes to fruition. He ties all that together. Okay, thank you. Um... A question from Sparrow, which I think uh, kind of comes in neatly here. She would like to know how you distinguish between literal and metaphorical uses of road in the Road Goes Ever On poems within The Lord of the Rings. Mm. Well, I what my basic principle was, if it felt intuitively like it had metaphorical or figurative meaning, I assigned it there. Whereas if it seemed totally literal, I kept it in the literal camp. So, so if it was layered with both, I decided to classify it as figurative. Um, you could probably, you know, break it down even more and have both as a as a subgroup. 
mm-hmm. that was what I did. And I tried to use those de- that definition from the Oxford English Dictionary, which was very clearly lab- labeled, you know, figurative in, in the list of definitions as my ruler. Okay. Could I ask you to put the chart back up again for a second? Because there's a couple of questions that people just want to kind of see something in the chart. So... Okay, great. Thank you. So uh, Sparrow again, she was just wondering at what chapter did the references to the road kind of drop off? So how would you interpret that using your chart? Well, there's definitely a big drop after book one. So part of that is because then they pause for a while in Rivendell, but then it's pretty noticeable when they, like in the ring goes south, when they start moving again, you can see there's more like more figurative use of road in that chapter than there is literal. And that's because there's less direct description of the land they're moving over. It starts to, the narrative starts to encompass, you know, weeks at a time maybe of travel rather than day by day. So it's pretty noticeable there. And then it starts to pick back up, I would say, when you zoom in on Frodo and Sam. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you. Uh, and Ryan was just wondering which colour represents which word. But hopefully now, Ryan, you can uh, you can look at that and you can see the key at the top. Uh, the dark blue is literal uses of road, light blue for figurative or abstract uses, dark green for literal uses of path and lighter green for fig- figurative or abstract uses. So uh, hopefully you can see that. Thanks, Emily. I think it was worth just yeah. popping it back up again there so that people could uh, definitely see. Yeah. Okay, so you've been talking about how in The Lord of the Rings, the concept of the road or the path is not just symbolically meaningful. Um, Actual roads also serve as narrative tools in other ways through the story. So what is the relationship then between these real and the symbolic roads? I see them as having a synergistic relationship where they're enhancing one another. So the symbolic road is established so early, it's always gonna be in the back of readers' minds if they had really thought about it at all when reading. So then when the literal roads start coming in, sometimes they can fly a little under the radar, especially when you're reading for the first time, you're really just interested in what's gonna happen next, but Mm -hmm. it's still there going through your brain and upon later readings and rereadings, you're gonna notice how how frequent it is. Um, and it's constantly just like a subtle reminder of those symbols. Um, and so because it's been infused with meaning already, they play off and enhance one another. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. Uh, so your thesis in particular, it focuses on how road imagery is tied to Frodo and his journey. So does the road motif function differently then for different characters? I think it does, yes. Though there's definitely room for a lot more study here because I just didn't have time to really look at any Mm -hmm. other character deeply. But it does seem that Frodo tends to attract the most detailed road description passages when it's focused on his journey. They do appear elsewhere occasionally, so it's not a perfect correlation, but it does definitely seem to be strongest for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also, I, I mentioned how characters with elevated diction favor figurative roads in their speech. 
And so that is one way that they are sort of distinguished and they're using that, that elevated language. And that's also usually um, some of the ways it's used in the Silmarillion. So you can see the connection between the similar type of language being used. Mm -hmm. And there are exceptions to that rule, rule too, because Sam gets a couple of really notable instances of using the road figuratively, and he's not really known for being a person with elevated speech, but he gets those really significant uses. And you could also look at a lot of different related things like Aragorn traveling on the paths of the dead, that's sort of a related idea, and he's really connected to that. Uh, so that's another way that a road-related word is being used specifically for a different character's journey. Okay, wonderful. Well, clearly this is just going to have to be extended into a PhD thesis so that you can look at the, uh, the different ways in which different characters have roads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's for next week, right? <laughs> okay, so we have more questions for you. Uh, Miriam asks... It seems like the road motif is also strong in Tolkien's artwork. Did you look at his drawings as part of your consideration of the prominence of the road in his works? So specifically Tolkien's own artwork. Yes, I did. I did look at it. One of the biggest things I noticed was it was very common in his early work, uh, maybe just because he was doing a lot more experimental drawings and paintings as a younger person. And then when he got to The Hobbit to do the illustrations for that, it's very, very prominent. Um, there are drafts of the painting that I showed, The Hill Hobbiton Across the Water, which he started that out as a drawing and he made at least like six drafts of that. And in every single one, the road has a different shape. So he was very obviously experimenting with how to use that as a visual like um, anchor for his image and how to lead the eye as you're looking at it. Um, and he's, you know, he tries one that's very straight and then he tries some that are extremely snake-like and he kind of ends up with one that's a, a mix of both those qualities. So it has movement, but it's not over the top. Mm -hmm. And as an artist yourself, what do you think of the way in which he was playing there with the perspective of the road in that painting? I think it sort of mirrors the way he uses it as a, as a base for his writing. So mm -hmm. he was definitely building upon it both visually and literally in his in his work. Okay, and great. that's really cool. It is really cool. Thank you. Okay, Kate has a really interesting question. So all these questions are fantastic. So thank you ever so much, everyone who's putting questions into the uh, the question and answer box. Kate says, did you notice any patterns in the use of path versus road? Uh, is it just geographical or does it also imply like historical or cultural aspects? So anything that you noticed um, in terms of that, uh, that use, that the way in which Tolkien would choose either to mm -hmm. use road or path? To me, it seemed mostly based on whether it, well, two things. One, how prominent the incursion upon the landscape is. So a road tends to be straighter. It tends to be more developed than a path. Um, also a path can be something that is unintentionally created. So like animals can create paths in, in real life and in the world of Middle Earth. And so oftentimes if path is used, it tends to be less noticeable or it's a road that has fallen into disrepair. Like in, in Holland, when they 
I think he even says they strike a road or path. Like he uses the same both words in one sentence to describe the same thing. So sometimes it can overlap, but in general, path is less um, less strong and road is more prominent. So that's like with physical roads and paths. Mm -hmm. Any kind of idea of a pattern when it's a metaphorical road or path? I don't know if there's a huge pattern when it comes to the metaphorical. They're definitely both used. Um, Galadriel uses path quite a bit, or and Celeborn, so maybe it goes by character more in that way. But I, you would have to, you know, start looking more deeply to to figure that out. And again, back to the PhD thesis idea, yeah. right? <laughs> exactly. Okay. Um, there's more questions. Um, so Gabriel asks, uh, can you say any more about roads in fantasy outside Tolkien? Roads or paths seem to be important in McFarlane's work. So maybe is that a Tolkien influence? And he wonders if there are other examples in fantasy, perhaps inspired by Tolkien. Now, obviously, this is outside your thesis, but do you know of any other works mm -hmm. that um, use the path or road motif in similar ways? I can't speak to whether there's any where it's so integrated, but certainly the journey idea is extremely common in fantasy, and that is very much a Tolkienian imprint upon the genre. Mm -hmm. And I would also say, like, when it comes to McFarlane, roads seem to have been very popular just within British literature and larger literature uh, in Tolkien's time, even before his time. So, like, the Romantics were very uh, interested in in roads and paths and just the idea of walking for fun mm -hmm. and then that is something that is taken up by some of Tolkien's near contemporaries and many of the other war poets and people writing about uh, World War One. we're talking about the roads on the front lines um, and so it it was a very common image outside of Tolkien at that time and so it's definitely something that is can come from other influences, not just from Tolkien when it comes to other contemporary writing. Mm -hmm. This sounds like chapter one of that PhD thesis, actually. So I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna stop mentioning that now. I don't mean to bug you. Um, okay, <laughs> question from Sparrow. Um, Sparrow says, Emily, roads are human made. We feel that Tolkien cautioned us about focusing on works of our hands made by metal and wheels and all that. How do you find that Tolkien worked with roads interacting with his beloved uh, woods and countryside? There's definitely a bit of a, uh, an antagonism there at times. So when nature becomes very prominent in the story, like the old forest, obviously there is no road through the old forest. Even the path is very uh, susceptible to changing um, and is almost a tool of the forest to confuse the characters as they move through it. Mm -hmm. So I do think there's a bit of tension there. And there are also roads like, like Sauron's roads through Mordor are very like hard and very even maybe damaging or they're, they're battling against like the volcano as it constantly explodes and covers up parts of the road and Sauron's forces have to go and clear it out again. So there is, you could definitely read a, a nature versus human uh, influence dynamic going on there. 
Thank you. Uh, this is clearly inspiring the audience because we're getting quite a few questions in. Um, <laughs> uh, Shannon asks, I was interested in your comments about how the road is sometimes used to teach us about, sorry, teach us something about a place's ancient past and how the use of the motif in The Lord of the Rings is culmination of earlier work. What do you see as the relationship of the road of time in stories like The Lost Road and what you see in The Lord of the Rings? I would say, so in The Lost Road, Tolkien was trying to create a very literal back in time story. And then in The Lord of the Rings, the roads as vestiges of a former civilization uh, in a way that very much mimics the way something like the Roman roads of Britain exist today mm. as vestiges of something from the past and Tolkien would have experienced that himself. So it's it's a more subtle use of that connection to a previous time, uh, especially I would say appears in Ithilien when they Frodo and Sam and Gollum travel on Gondorian roads for a time and they're described as very straight and reliable even when they have fallen into disrepair. Mm. And so that sort of emphasizes the positive characteristics that Tolkien assigns to the Numenorean civilization and also to the fact that the characters are determined to keep going on their quest. Mm -hmm. Okay, great, thank you. Right, so one of the, uh, the questions um, that's not from the question board but is from me, all of this wonderful research that you did to create this thesis um, is there anything that you came across that surprised you while you were doing all your research? I was surprised by how much the literal roads ended up doing in the text itself. Mm -hmm. Even though it, you know, it's a book that I've read many times, I don't think I'd ever really realized just how much they were carrying emotion and orienting yourself in the landscape as you read and you're figuring out exactly what is going on and where the characters are going. And I had just really not thought about that until I started actually looking closely at some passages and seeing like, wow, it's just everywhere. And it's pulling these multiple, uh, multiple roles. Mm -hmm. Well, isn't that one of the beauties of Tolkien's work that um, you can come at it from so many different angles at different times in your life um, and, you know, to, I don't know, channel Shrek a little bit. It's like an onion, isn't it? There's so many different <laughs> yes. layers. Who knew you could channel Shrek in a thesis theatre about Tolkien? You can. Um, but, yeah, you can, you can find a thing, can't you, in Tolkien's work, and then follow that the whole way through and suddenly notice how much of what you see, which you might not have noticed on any previous reading. So you found the same thing for Rhodes. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's fascinating. That's really fascinating. Thank you. Uh, more stuff coming in. Okay, so both Penn and Sparrow have asked the same question, which is about your title. Uh, Penn says, what is the source or significance of gives in the title rather than goes ever on? And Sparrow says, I noticed that your title is The Road Gives. Will you speak about the giving aspect? Sure. I just saw giving as a way to highlight how much the road was adding a lot of depth and significance to the story beyond just being a symbol. Mm -hmm. So it is giving us all of those metaphoric resonances, but it's also 
giving us very, very much narrative use. And I thought that was something, it was something I wanted to, to emphasize in the title while still evoking the symbolic and, and that poem. Okay, thank you. Um, right, so we've got a couple of questions here from Chad. First of all, Chad asks, do you ever see Tolkien use a road or system of roads as a device for spreading information, culture, or technology? Put another way, are roads part of his world building, not just simply a means of going from A to B? Yes, definitely. And especially because he was so concerned with uh, creating maps and, and using maps even as a form of developing the story. So he was, he was working on these maps. He was figuring out how it helps different societies connect with each other. Uh, and he was maybe less concerned with, with figuring out all of those, at least during the Lord of the Rings. Like he definitely was interested in those cultural things, but it was something he would go back to and keep pushing into more and more. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely something that I think he was thinking about, but also not his only interest. So he maybe was thinking more about language and, and how that would change over time than commercial shipping. <laughs> okay, thank you. Uh, and Chad's second question was, do you think that Tolkien made a deliberate choice on the issue of banditry and safety on the roads he had his characters use? I'm not sure I could say for sure it's deliberate, but it is definitely there. Mm -hmm. It's a concern when to use the road and when not to. Mm -hmm. And so to some extent it probably was conscious, but it could have also been something that just sort of evolved naturally in a way that sort of mimics how you just wander over countryside and you might follow a road or you might cut off. So the hobbits in the Shire start taking shortcuts and going cross country. And sometimes that is to avoid detection. So for them, it was a deliberate choice, but it's also such a repeated pattern in the text that it, it may have just sort of been there as part of the nature of the work. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's come back to uh, your process of the thesis. Um, now, as we all know, uh, when you write a thesis, you start off with this amount of stuff and you've got to get it down to this amount of stuff to actually fit into the word limit. Um, and we've already heard about numerous things that are really interesting but couldn't find their way into your thesis because of time and, of course, word limit constraints. But was there anything that you wanted to include in your thesis that you had to leave out or aspects that you wanted to pursue, but you didn't? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, so I originally thought I would include a lot more about the, the road through wider world of literature, as we sort of talked about a little bit earlier, especially in Britain at Tolkien's time, but you can trace it you know, through ancient epics there's Chaucer and other medieval works that involve roads and paths. There's the Romantics, as I mentioned before, and Tolkien's youthful favorites like William Morris also make use of it sometimes. So I wanted, you know, I thought I would maybe explore that more, but I just decided it was so broad and there's so many sources that it would just be a whole separate 
thing if I were to go there. And source criticism is tricky anyway. You can't, it's very difficult to establish proof about direct sources and inspirations. And so I decided to focus more on the Lord of the Rings itself and where it came through Tolkien's own earlier works, uh, since he did plagiarize himself quite a bit. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed, he did. Um, okay, so I've got a lovely question from Kate. Uh, Kate would like to know if you're now paying more attention to the roads and paths you encounter in the primary world. Uh, yes, I think about it all the time whenever I'm hiking, particularly. Um, and yeah, especially when traveling, I think, oh, I'm following a path, I'm following a road. It's just so romantic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's a lovely question, Kate. Thank you for that. Yes. Okay, so um, my final question to you. You've now come to the end of your thesis journey, which has been, you know, a, a lot of time and effort on your part. You've worked really hard to get this far. Um, and there are students who are in uh, this thesis theatre right now who are uh, very close to this point or are looking forward to when it will be their turn to do this. Do you have any advice for people who are uh, looking towards their own thesis journey? Anything that you would say to them, do this or don't do that? <laughs> First, I would say, don't be afraid to follow something that really strikes you as intriguing, uh, even if it's not what you had been maybe picturing in your mind as the sort of topic or general idea that you would be following along. So I always thought I would do something that was really extremely closely bound up with Tolkien's artwork, but I ended up picking something that definitely has uh, connections to that, but isn't the main focus. Um, and secondly, something that you told me when I first started working on my thesis is go deep, not wide. And that was something I had to stop and remind myself to do several times. And it helped me to really focus down on on one thing, one specific aspect of this huge topic and really develop that thoroughly. Mm -hmm. uh, that's actually something that's quite important, isn't it? Because uh, when you start off with your thesis ideas um, and you, you start talking about all these ideas you have, you realize you've got a hundred different ideas and you can't do all of them. Um, and it is really important to make sure that you dig really deeply on something rather than uh, incorporate hundreds of different ideas. So yes, absolutely. Uh, in fact, um, some of the people in the chat are saying they are sorry to hear that there are word limits. Well, <laughs> if there weren't word limits, then I'm afraid we'd end up with uh, master's theses that would be the length and breadth and depth of a PhD thesis. And um, yeah, we, we can't possibly inflict that on our master's students. That would be a bit much. Uh, we have a really nice question from Penn, uh, who asked, why is Emily in a law library? Is it real or a picture? <laughs> uh, it is real. It is something, it was a vestige of the former owner of this house, who was a lawyer and did not want to deal with the books when he moved out in his 80s. So he just left them. And uh, my husband uses this as his his office uh, day to day. But he graciously uh, let me put some Tolkien books on one shelf today. And 
yeah, it's fun to have it. It's, it impresses everyone that comes in, even though we have no idea of the content of any of the books. <laughs> but it just looks wonderful as a backdrop, that's for sure. <laughs> I'm just loving the way Tolkien's managed to force his way in there in amongst all those dry and dusty old law tomes. Yes. And normally we have all our Tolkien books on a dedicated shelf in our living room where we can see them every day. Mm, of course. Absolutely. Okay. And we have come to the end of all of the questions that were in the question and answer uh, box and at the end of my question. So all that's left for me to do is to congratulate you, Emily, because as I've said, that was hard work. You put in all of the effort and all of the time and deservedly you have come out the other end uh, with an absolutely fascinating thesis. Uh, and that thesis, by the way, everybody will, as every thesis does, it will be finding its way into our Signum library, which, of course, looks exactly like the library behind Emily, just virtually. Um, and <laughs> available to borrow out of the Signum library to read if you have an interest in it, which I hope some of you will do. Um, so that will be winging its way there within the next ooh, few days, really. So do feel free to go in and ask for it so you can actually read this absolutely fascinating thesis that is not only really well written, but it's very thoughtful and it touches on a very interesting aspect of Tolkien's writing that I'm sure everybody would enjoy reading about. Emily, you've done an absolutely fantastic job um, and really congratulations on uh, getting to the end of this, your, your master's journey with Signum University. It's been an absolute delight to work with you. Um, and there is much congratulations and applause going on in the chat for you. Thank you. We'll have to thank you, Dr. Brown, and also my second reader, Dr. Schenk, and also James Tauber. You, I think you three were the ones that truly helped me uh, shape this thesis and also to everyone else who supported me along the way. I really appreciate it. Yep, we were team Emily. So yes, indeed, <laughs> there, there was James who helped out with all the, the wonderful charting stuff that uh, Emily relied on. Uh, mm -hmm. And Dr. Gabriel Schenk, whose uh, job as second reader um, it, it did an absolutely fantastic, fantastic job for you. Um, and that really helped with your final uh, final draft for the thesis. So thank you to Team Emily and, of course, to everybody who has come along to the Thesis Theatre today. I hope you've enjoyed listening to uh, Emily talking about her thesis. Uh, and I hope to welcome you again to a future Thesis Theatre. So thank you very much for attending today. Uh, and Diochenvar, uh, and see you again another time. Thank you, everybody. Bye, everyone.